0: This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us
1: together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back. This is our second Dojo Live today, and it is Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Chad Bergroth. He's with Dispoteca, and we're going to be talking about an interesting topic that I'm sure is near and dear to most IT leaders. I want to welcome Carlos Ponce, who's my co-host in Coronavaca, Mexico. Welcome to the show today, Carlos.
0: Pleasure to be here. It's Savartilio.
1: And I'm broadcasting from Southern California, and Chad is in Phoenix. Welcome, Chad, to the show. We're looking forward to speaking with you
2: thanks for having me
1: so uh, a lot of people obviously purchase it equipment and it depreciates but then it's like what do we do with it you know wh- how do we upgrade what do we do with the old equipment so it's a it's a big challenge especially if you're a large enterprise but We're going to talk about this today, and I know you have some answers, but before we do, let's get to know you a little bit. Chad, could you please introduce yourself? I know you're the CTO of Dispoteca. Please tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Sure. Um, So I grew up actually in Denver and moved to Phoenix in high school. Um, My mom had kind of a midlife crisis and went back to medical school around 40 years old. Ended up here to do a residency at the Mayo Clinic. So I kind of had to start over um, you know, socially and academically and ended up staying, uh, going to ASU had never done anything in tech up to that point in my life at all. Um, I think freshman or sophomore year of college, I took a intro to Java class just on a kind of a lark and fell in love with programming. So switched my major and got a degree in computer science and started my, you know, career in technology after graduating. So started out doing kind of like data analytics and data science applications for juvenile justice. So we built, you know, programs and software to help the juvenile justice industry have better outcomes, you know, like um, less recidivism, things like this for, for juvenile offenders. And did that for a bunch of years. Took a hard left turn after leaving that and went and worked for a consumer app startup. It's um, a little bit after the launch of the iPhone and you know mobile apps were kind of everything in the world. So that was really interesting. Ended up being tasked with running that company as the CTO and COO. So I got my first deep dive look into what it means for running a PE acquired company. And then was recruited to a, the healthcare field uh, to build a technology department you know an internal technology department. Um, and then that company was acquired by PE and I was by private equity for those of you that don't know what PE means and then I was um, found myself needing to find something else to do. And so here I am today.
1: Cool. So what gave birth to this idea Dispoteca? what's what is what is the company all about? love the name so, by the way it reminds me of like discoteca like it makes you want to dance.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it's kind of a play. You know, we're in the southwest, so it's it's a little bit of a a play on um, IT disposition and and that. So thank you, but um, basically, I had a, a colleague in the recycling industry, and then you know, or a friend in the recycling industry. He approached me with some ideas that I thought were pretty cogent to my background. Building software at my previous company, the healthcare company, and we just thought it would be a a really good fit. So, um, basically, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, we're in the IT recycling and refurbishment industry. Um, So we we operate like at the top of this reverse supply chain funnel. If you think of buying your IT equipment, there's a supply chain there, right? Like there's mining of the raw materials and assembly, and then uh, manufacturer and all the way down till it gets to the consumer. So the end of life is just the reverse of that. It's like this long chain of players all the way down to smelting down the precious metals. So we're at the very, very top of that chain where we work with the companies that are trying to get rid of their equipment. Um, and so we, we built a software platform that tries to optimize for that position in the, in the reverse supply chain and find the right downstream supply chain partners for that equipment. All
1: right. Great. Curious to learn more about this. Carlos, What's uh, let's kick off the topic and dig right in.
0: Absolutely, Tulio. Thank you so much. Today we're going to be speaking about end-of-life IT equipment, security, responsibility, and convenience. That's the topic that our guest uh, chose for today's conversation. And we're going to be answering the question on how IT leaders can escape the sales cycle and use technology to solve their used equipment problem. So, first question, Chad: Why did you choose this particular topic, or why did you feel it was relevant
2: for today's day and age? Sure. So, um, the, you know, the industry that we play in is has been around for you know as long as. Hardware has been around. People have needed to dispose of it and recycle it and refurbish it and things like that. Uh, But what's different in 2020 than in maybe 2000 is folks are looking and are used to more um, self-serve experiences, right? So if you think of Uber or Grubhub or even the travel analogy, Priceline or anything like this, you're expecting something that you used to work with an agent or a salesperson. You're expecting to be able to access those complicated white glove services through technology today. So um, that's the problem that we're trying to solve. And we think that it's an interesting th- interesting one that uh, IT leaders should be aware of.
1: Can you be a little more specific in terms of, I mean, walk us through the cycle, right? You explain the the purchase cycle, right? Come putting together the equipment, all the various supply chain and logistics and, and the ecosystem that makes up, for example, creating an iPhone, right? Now we get an upgrade every September, October. What happens to all the other? Millions of i you know past models of iPhone. How do they get? What happens? How do they get? Is there a market for the parts in there, the metal in there, and what role do you guys play? If you could just maybe paint a picture for us on how this comes together, that'd be awesome.
2: Sure. So I mean, the easiest way to think about it is it goes backwards. Um, you know, maybe not a one-year-old iPhone, but for the purposes of discussion, it, you just undo everything you did when you made it. Uh, so you, you find someone to recycle it, they'll tear it apart. They'll sell the valuable pieces out of it. There's chips and maybe the battery still has life. Maybe the screen still has value, etc. cetera. There's metal in there. There's other precious materials that'll be smelted down and recycled and reused. Um, so that's like the recycling process. There's also refurbishment. So you could, um, send it to a refurbisher. They'll, you know, erase everything off of it. Uh, they'll install the latest operating system, and they'll prepare it for resale downstream the market. So maybe it's to people in another country, maybe it's to, you know, education. Maybe there's, there's plenty of aftermarket demand for cheaper used, refurbished devices of all sorts. Um,
1: and, and how's that done today? Is it predominantly through these sort of auction markets? I mean. I'm, I'm a I'm assuming it's pretty is there technology that automates this whole process, or is it predominantly relationship based? Like, hey, I'm gonna work with this manufacturer who might need these parts. I'm gonna work with that person who recycles or then sells to that manufacturer. How's that process today? And what role so, are you guys playing in that process?
2: Yeah, great question. Um, it depends for for consumer for a consumer, it's there's you know, there's webs you can go to eBay or Um, There's website auction sites and Mm -hmm. market market sites that you can use. For businesses, it's a little bit trickier. So once you get to, say, 500, 1,000 employees, your volume becomes significant. So you need someone that's specialized in the industry and has those relationships to manage projects of that size. And you're likely up against regulations and internal compliance requirements, such as data security. Um, And, you know, you might be subject to a green uh, pledge that means you can't have anything end up in landfill, for example. And so it gets a little bit more complicated for uh, businesses. Um, And so traditionally, a, a business needing to do that will have a relationship with someone who provides the service, whether it's recycling or purchasing that equipment from them. Uh, it's all relationship driven and there's a proposal built out and you know it's like a tr- traditional project service-based project like you would get with any any other business t- to business service so the only difference with Dispoteca is that we're looking to like create that um to to let businesses basically self-serve that process right without necessarily having to go to a marketplace or something and list all of their product themselves. We wanna provide that white glove professional service, but we want them to be able to do it directly through our website.
0: Chad, I have a question. You, I'm uh, talking about the website, I'm looking at it right now and uh, there's a big uh, uh, copy in there that that says, sell used business computers in minutes. So it's obviously that it's about selling,
2: but who buys these computers? Who's who's your client base? So yeah, if you have, uh, equipment that's worth money, we will give you money back for your equipment uh, because we will be able to sell it downstream to brokers. I mean, that's the easiest okay. way to think it. Or um, mm-hmm. some equipment might have value even if it doesn't have value. Like a recycler might give you you know, pennies on the dollar, but if you have 5,000 laptops, pennies on the dollar is still money. Um, mm-hmm. And if you want to make sure that you're your equipment's being recycled, you know, responsibly, and all your data is being erased. So that you're protected from a data breach, and and things like that. Like it's uh, getting any money back and having those services delivered to you, uh, provided to you is valuable. Mm-hmm.
0: And once, for example, I I uh, I can upload an asset list, and then once you get it on the platform, how do you make sure that uh, what I upload it in there actually matches the the the, the the conditions of the, uh, the physical conditions of the equipment.
2: Yeah. I mean, so it's a good question, actually. Um, like any other business to business relationship, um, even though we enable you to very quickly point and click, build out your project on our website, we still create, we still have a formal business relationship with you. Right. So part of that, Flow is executing of an MSA and an, an SOW. So there's some, um, I guess, like legal obligation to be honest in what you're trying to. We're not just a blind marketplace. We're still a partner of yours and we still work with you throughout the duration of your project.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, so in essence, you're providing a service, a, a relationship to represent these companies' needs to either recycle or sell their used equipment. And in the process of doing that, you then provide them the technology to automate all that so they don't have to call someone every time and you know, work with various different components. They can just do it in one fell swoop. You guys manage it from soup to nuts, uh, and it simplifies that ongoing for them. Did, I, did we get that
2: right? You got it exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, so that's a
1: lot in the back end to make that all work, right? I mean, you must have hundreds, if not thousands, of different vendors who might be interested in different things. Someone might be just interested in the disc. Someone might be interested in the chips. Someone, you know, the 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 actual metal. How are you building that? How do you go and procure that? Uh, Yeah, uh, so that's a lot
2: of of (laughs) us doing relationship building on our end. Okay. Uh, Okay. You know, and you, we did I, basically the reason I'm in this is in this business is because I did the almost ex- exact same thing in my previous job it but in the medical field we were providing a service using a network rather than providing it directly and so that's kind of exactly what we're doing right like we're acting as a trust arbiter to a big network of um, downstream brokers and recyclers and refurbishers and we manage, the credentialing, if you want to think about it that way, of that network. So we know who does a good job, who pays the best for what kind of gear, um, who's trustworthy, you know, who communicates well. And we manage all of that on the downstream. And, and the software is what's used to kind of like keep that vast network scored appropriately so we know how to route your gear. If that makes sense?
1: Is it set up like a, a B2B e-commerce sort of environment where the inventory gets put up and the participants can bid on it or purchase those specific equipment? Or is it more a one-to-one currently where you're matching up what is happening with the particular partner you've negotiated with? Is is it both? Is your end goal to automate all that? Can you walk us through sort of the roadmap of where it's heading
2: Sure. Um, yeah, great question. And you, we're seeing a lot of folks in our industry kind of approaching it like you're, what you're alluding to, like a B2B marketplace. Um, our current thesis is that that doesn't work. Like being the person, the IT leader on my, in, in a previous life, uh, I want someone to call on the phone or an account on the website that I'm using to be direct a relationship with, to me and my problem, right? Like I don't want to think about how the soup is made like after my problem. I just want my problem addressed. So um, we believe in basically provide, providing direct service to our clients and then pushing those deals to the best members of the network outbound rather than having them come and bid on the deals. We think that
1: provides the best service.
2: But, but that doesn't mean we can't automate all that anyway. So th- right, I mean I mean it's a
1: big undertaking I'm I would say yeah. there's so many components that make up these 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 equipments. I mean most of it just taken for granted, you know, you recycle something, you you forget about it, but there's literally hundreds if not thousands of components that can be utilized and some of them are very costly and valuable, especially when they use precious metals for certain applications. That's um, exactly right. Right. So okay, so you've got You've created a model where the IT executives can just go to you, one-stop shop. Uh, we've got all the stuff that needs to be recycled. We need to get rid of it. There's some value in some of them. You create the marketplace for it through those relationships and facilitate the flow of, of disposing of this equipment. Um, where else could this be applied long-term? In Is there any other applications you see this sort of workflow that can be applied. What is your thinking beyond IT uh, for this kind of thing?
2: Yeah, so um, you know, it's something that we actually try to avoid thinking about too much. Uh, I think <laughs> that I, I'm a personal. You know, we're still so young uh, of a company. I'm a personal believer in doing your niche really, really well, and then you can maybe think bigger picture. But I will admit that you know it's crossed our mind here and there. So uh, really if you think about generalizing what we're doing, the mechanics of what we're doing, we're you know, managing a sales cycle, which is, there's lots of tools out there to manage a sales cycle, right? Um, and then we're managing the logistics of a anywhere from multi-day to multi-month project. So, and the logistics are all asynchronous steps that could happen like a Gantt chart, like overlapping, right? So there's Trucks that are going to locations to pick gear up, and deliveries being um, scheduled and delivered and delayed and rescheduled, and all these partners receiving and shipping packages all around. And so we're trying to manage that and and keep it visible and actionable by the client. Um, we're trying to make sure that everything is auditable and there's you know good chain of custody and paperwork all the way all along the way. And so if you think about the concept of man- managing a logistics network um, for for complicated projects, yeah, I think it could be pretty powerful in how it's applied to other industries.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's fantastic. You're essentially helping businesses reduce uh, waste as well, right? Yeah, I'm, I just keep thinking, how many other applications can this be used for? You've got people in the textile industry, the things that can be reutilized, buttons, right. uh, zippers. You've got toys. Tons of toys, you know, plastic wheels or whatever can all be reutilized, repurposed. Not all everything needs to just be melted down. It just seems perhaps you've stumbled on a way to facilitate this for something that could be broader uh, where it actually helps the planet reduce the uh, the amount of waste that we have because it facilitates recycling components and reusing things. And I'm curious how much of that doesn't get done probably because it's very complicated. You have to go build all these relationships, but you guys well, are facilitating I mean, that, which is you know making it easier.
2: Yeah, even in IT, IT, only 20% is recycled right now. So, you know, I mean, we've got 80%. The market as it exists with 20% is something like $20 billion right now in used IT. Wow. Right. So, uh, and then we have another 80% that's not even getting formally recycled. So it's just huge. The problem is huge. From an environmental, you know, e-waste management standpoint, it's huge. Our personal mission is to see a world one day where every company recycles all of their used IT equipment. That would be the ideal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even just IT is huge, but you're right. Thinking bigger, it just gets mind-blowing how big it is.
1: Carlos, Jay, <laughs> you're, you're on mute. You're on mute. He's doing it on purpose. I'm just
0: to be believe it or not, I was not doing it on purpose. I wanted to, but I couldn't. I just Carlos couldn't. is
1: famous for being on mute when he comes all on. the time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There you have. It. That's my trademark. So, chat, uh, in terms of what this Botech can accomplish uh, in its current state, or it, let's call it its uh, its reach or its, its scope in terms of the, the business stage it's in. Uh, you mentioned that, well, you can work with uh, small businesses and in unregulated industries all the way up to bigger organizations like uh, be it government or finance or healthcare. Considering this, is there a limit, like uh, both uh, how little how small a, uh, um, a, a company can be, or a small business can be, all the way up to how large it can be in terms of how you can serve them, or not really. There's,
2: there's probably, I would, I would love to say no. Uh, I think that there's definitely no limit on the upper end, other than, you know, our ability to hire enough lawyers to manage the contract that would be demanded of us. But uh, I think. On the bottom end, if you're a one-person company with a laptop you need to get rid of, it's probably more cost-effective for you to either drop that off at Goodwill or, um, you know, a, a you know a recycler that's like in town. Mm-hmm. There's lots of those. You should probably treat yourself more as a consumer than a business because we really specialize in making sure that. You know, not only are the, is the most value going to come out of your equipment, like we want you to think of it as you're selling your gear and returning money to your budget. But part of the process when you're working with us is, is we make sure that all the regulations that you may be subject to, you're complying with. We make sure that you're not going to have a data breach um, and, you know, all the costs and misery that go along with that. So you need to be an organization that's sized sufficiently or, has sufficient exposure to risk to make sense there.
1: The yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, as consumers, we just don't think about this. Uh, right, you've, right. You've got companies that have stadium-sized data centers That's right. with equipment. And that gets updated and changed, like every six months now. It used to be every several years, right? So, what happens to all that equipment? Where's it going? <laughs> so, this is a this has to be resolved. You know, you have twenty percent is not enough. No, that means, it's not that even eighty percent is going to waste somewhere that we have to deal with at some point or another. So, uh, it's not only a good smart business idea; it's just good good for the planet for everybody right. involved. Okay, so Carlos, I know you got uh, some questions. One more, yeah,
0: one more, and this is uh, well, we're approaching the final segment of today's conversation. So before we go and before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you about this boteca. I know you're you a young company, you're growing, and but but uh, even so, you have a very nice uh, uh, worthy mission, you know, set in sight. With that being said, what? If you were to think of growth in the near future or in the far future, what type of people would you like to 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 attract to your company? What type of how would you like to build your your culture? What is important in terms of uh, building a great team, a great company culture? I know that we're right now everybody's limited to COVID. You know, we're all working from home sure. and such. But when that kind of fades away and in, in, in the very near future, hopefully. How would you like to see Disploteca grow in terms of your team? What's important for you in working with the right people? Who's the right people to work with Disploteca?
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question, Carlos. Thank you. I think if I had to pick a value that I value the most, the number one thing would be transparency. So um, I'm like ruthlessly transparent with the people I do work with on things like our finances and, you know, our forecasting and, and things like that, everyone knows exactly where we stand. Um, uh, I think another core value would obviously be environmentalism, doing better than you're expected to do. So really, I'm looking for folks that are super enthusiastic and care above all about doing well in whatever they're doing. Um, So that should be the primary driver, is someone who just enjoys doing things well when they do them. and you know we have a lot of fun, and we're laid back, and there's you know no dress codes or anything like that. But we do expect folks to do a good job, and we will you know return the favor.
1: Um, Great, so thank you
0: so much, Chad.
1: Just uh, what, Chad, one more question. Um, You know, there have been businesses that have established like certain seal of approval or certificate kind of a thing that has helped consumers or even businesses uh, engage with certain uh, uh, product companies based on um, some initiative that mattered to them. Is your plan to potentially enable a similar kind of a certification, i.e., you know, a a business that actually recycles their IT equipment, especially in tech. Uh, Is there a a plan potentially to move in that direction or at least encourage uh, maybe legislature that would uh, uh, favor organizations that are doing beyond just 20% recycling more? Uh, Any thoughts around that? How do we push this forward to make it bigger?
2: Yeah, no. Um, that's a great idea, and it's not something that we've yet explored. Uh, you know, if you think about the the downstream members of our network, there's a number of certifications and players in that market of certifying them that they're doing what they say they're going to do. And we don't want to encroach on those organizations at all. They're doing a great job. We think we're providing additional value um, and vetting and credentialing on top of what they're doing, but we certainly Appreciate all that they're doing, um, as far as you providing a, a seal of approval to upstream, what we call upstream, our clients that they are doing the recycling. That I think is honestly just a good idea that hadn't occurred to us. So um, thank you for that. That's what we do here, amazing.
1: Indulge Live. We're constantly coming up with great ideas for. Yeah, it's yes. a great idea. <laughs> all um, right. Well, we're coming up on time. Uh, First-time entrepreneur. This one. Chad?
2: First time real of- entrepreneur. Yeah. I've, I've started a bunch before, but I've never actually quit a job and gone full steam ahead. Um, so it's an, it's been exciting.
1: All right. So always curious to learn what you're learning about yourself in this process that you'd like to share with others who might be sitting on the fence about becoming a first time entrepreneur.
2: Uh, it's way harder than you think it's going to be and whatever you're afraid of being hard is harder than you're afraid of it being hard i think the other thing that i will say is the parts of of my personality that i expected to run into limits with such as you know doing sales or networking you'd be surprised at how quickly you're forced to adapt to situations that you're not necessarily comfortable in and you'll you'll be great just um There's, you know, a messy middle or uh, there's there's dark moments when it doesn't look like it's going to work and you're getting a lot of negative feedback or, you know, some sales fell through, whatever it is. Uh, I would say the the key to remember is that every successful company is the company that survived. So just keep going. By definition, you'll get there.
1: Nice. I had an amazing mentor many years ago, almost 25 years ago. His name was John Vitali when I was in the telecom business. He says, Tulio, nothing truly exciting ever happens in life until you go way beyond your level of comfort. So true. if you want to grow... You got to get on comfortable in the best way. Like you said, it's going to be super hard, but it's worth it because you learn a lot about yourself and you learn new skills. It's been great to have you as our guest. Well, we'll keep tabs on you. We're very curious to see how you guys grow and and progress and um, who knows, maybe establish a new standard in in the world on how uh, IT equipment or technology equipment gets recycled or disposed of in such a way that's more responsible. Thanks for being with us, uh, for joining us. We don't have a show tomorrow. Uh, It's been postponed. So we're going to be back Monday, Monday for the recap show at 12 p.m. And then what do we got next week, Carlos? We got uh, three or four shows next week. We got two shows,
0: but hold on a second. I need to make sure that I'm not on mute. No, I'm not. Okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, on Tuesday we are going to be speaking with uh, Shrisha Ramdas, the principal, the CEO of Strike Deck and Strike De- Strike Deck. I'm sorry, which is a customer uh, success platform. And then on Thursday we're going to be speaking with. Uh, hold on one second, please. With Paul Powers, CEO of Fisna, uh, I hope I pronounce it correctly with the ph, Fisna. And, uh, and that's what we have for uh, next week. We only have two shows confirmed. Hopefully, we'll get something squeezed in for Wednesday. But if not, we have those two shows, Fisna and Strike Deck. And that's what All we right. have,
1: gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, stay safe, and we'll see you back Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific. Be safe. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.